uh, if you're visiting London City Presbyterian Church this morning, um, you have not been here quite a wee while, then I think it's worth knowing that at the very start of this sermon series, so we're working through the first part of the book of Numbers in the sermon series, right at the start of the sermon series, what I did was very intentionally, I made an appeal to the church. So right at the start, very first sermon, uh, I asked the congregation here to do one thing, and that was to read on to read ahead in the book of Numbers, to do that privately, individually, but also to read ahead if you, in your families as well. Now, I'm not naive. I know that a lot of appeals a minister makes from the pulpit maybe fall sometimes on deaf ears. I know that. I also know that this appeal did not fall on deaf ears. So I know that a good number, a good proportion of our congregation did take that to heart, went away and began to read through the book of Numbers. Now, how can I stand up here and be so confident that that was the case? (laughs) Well, I know that's true because in the subsequent weeks, so many people have come back to me and said the same thing. So from week two, people have come to me and said, Andy, have you seen Numbers chapter five? Andy, have you seen this test uh, of a adultery. What are we going to do with this? Are we going to ignore this? Are are you going to be sneaky and trying to skip past it? Are you going to give it to Harrison to do? What are we going to do with Numbers chapter 5? Well, we've arrived in Numbers chapter 5, and I suppose the first thing I've got to say, of course, is that yes, Look, I'm, I'm with you in the sense that it is, in a, in a sense, yes, it's a, what were we going to say, it's a strange and unusual portion of scripture, is it? I think it, it is, but we have to take this really seriously, don't we, this morning? I mean, this is the word of Almighty God, inspired word of God. And I think what we'll find, is if we take this seriously this morning, what we'll find is that actually far from being remote, <laughs> Far from being distant and irrelevant, actually this portion of Scripture is incredibly valuable for London City Presbyterian Church. I believe passionately this morning what God will do here is shine light on how you and I should live for Him. But actually what God can do this morning is shine light on what He has done for us in the person of His Son. You hear that from Numbers 5? We see the gospel and we see what Christ has done. So my next appeal, of course, is to ask you to turn with me to Numbers chapter 5. Okay, so whether it's on your phone or if you're fancy, if it's your iPad, but if you're using the church Bible, let's have Numbers chapter 5 from verse uh, 11 onwards, this test for adultery. The first thing I want us to think about here is what we'll call the workings of God. Okay, that's the first thing we'll think about, the workings of God. Okay, so we're ready for this, a test of adultery. Okay, part of my job, I think part of a minister's job, when we're coming to a portion of scripture like this, I think is to try and anticipate some of the questions that you might have of a portion of scripture. So part of the process is for for me to think through the questions that rise in our minds in a section of scripture. Now, sometimes sometimes that's difficult to anticipate questions you might have. Sometimes that's really easy. I think in a portion of scripture that's so unusual like this, I think there are a couple of 
really obvious questions that you're asking, that in fact, that we're all asking of this portion of Scripture. So a couple of questions that we're all asking. I th- you can correct me later on if you were not asking these questions. Okay, so here's the first one. Are we asking this, why, why is it just the wife? Yeah? <laughs> Everyone nods and smiles. Why is it just the wife and not... The husband. I mean, you, you, you can see, I think, we immediately get to grips with this portion of scripture, can we? So do we get the idea that if there is jealousy in the camp, if there's jealousy in this marriage, you've got one spouse, and if he's jealous of the other, of having an affair, then there's this ritual that they've got to go through that will expose the truth of their suspicion, right? Now, that's fine, but that's not what it says. If you look at verse 12... Because it does not say, if one spouse suspects the other spouse, <laughs> it says it's a one-way street, right, isn't it? It is only if a husband suspects the wife of adultery that this, so we're asking, why, 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 why a one-way street? Do you see the answer or not? Do, do we answer? I think the answer, believe it or not, is just marvelous. Part of the answer is marvelous. Because you think about the ancient world for a moment. This is true, isn't it? That in a lot of cultures in the ancient world, the man was viewed as being more important than the woman. Right? What do we have to say to that? I think we have to say that, that still exists in London today in some religions and some cultures. It's not equality. The man is more important than the woman. Right? Now you take that into the ancient world. What does that mean in the ancient world? That means that if a husband even merely suspects the wife of adultery. I mean, he's more important. She is. What can he do? What does he do? He just suspects her. He can punish her. You see? So he merely, just a whiff of suspicion of adultery. What can the husband do? The wife will disappear. He suspects her. The wife will be banished. She will vanish. The wife may even be killed on the basis of suspicion. And what does our God do? Do you see it? He ensures from Numbers chapter 5 that no such thing can happen in Israel. Do you see, if there is jealousy on the part of the husband, the husband is forbidden from taking action, from acting merely on that suspicion. Do you see it? God gives him a ritual that he has to undergo. And if you think about it carefully, you see that it's beautiful. This is a process that enables the wife to prove her innocence. And more than that, this is a process that ensures that the wife cannot be punished on the basis of suspicion alone. Do you see what God is doing in this process? He is protecting the woman from abuse in the ancient world. So we were asking that question, were we? Okay, so we can see maybe something of what God was doing. There is a second question, I think, is even... Excuse me, I think it's even bigger and more significant, but it's going to sound a little bit strange. So were you, did this cross your mind? Were you asking this of this portion of scripture? Looking at this and thinking, is this magic? Does this look a little bit like magic? Numbers chapter five. Years ago, I got into a, a bit of trouble at the end of a service in this church. Uh, you don't know the people involved, so I'm safe to say it. Um, but I can't remember the context, but during the service, I, I made fun of magic shows <laughs> during the, the, the sermon. I can't remember exactly what I said, but something along the lines of to a Scottish Highlander, a magic show seems a little bit 
twee and a little bit weird. Okay, and at the end of the service, I was accosted. I really was. And there was a couple, and they were angry with me. And it wasn't because I'd spoken about hell, and it wasn't because I'd spoken about sin. It was because I dared to slag off pen and teller, and they were adamant. This was a terrible thing. Well, maybe you love magic shows, do you? Like, I don't know. You certainly know what a magic show is all about. So it's possible that you look at the numbers five, and you maybe think, well, you've got all the ingredients. Well, it seems like a magic show. You think it like that? I mean, you could say, look at this, and you could think, oh, we've got a magic potion. Do we? In, in verse 17, because you've got this earthenware vessel, and it's this liquid that's to be drunk, don't you? And then you could say you've got a magic spell in verse 23, because did you notice the curses have to be written out and then washed into that liquid? And then people could say, but you've got magic words in verse 21 that have to be recited. So, so I'm, I'm saying to you, is this sorcery, do you think? Like, is this wizardry? Is it magic? Is it? Of course not. And what I want you to bask in, what I want you to notice is how central God is to everything here. So look at verse 16 with me, please, everyone. To whom is this woman to be brought in verse 16? Do you see? She, in verse 16, is to be set before the Almighty God. This is not sort of sorcery. This is divine involvement, divine assessment. And then this special vessel, do you see it? Verse 17, is it a magic potion? Do you see how it's not? Do you see how it's elements from the tabernacle, God's tabernacle, that have to be mixed in here? This is about God. Then look at verse, the magic spell, the words in verse 21, supposedly. Is it a magic spell? No, it's not abracadabra. That's not like hocus pocus or something. This is a solemn oath. And it's oath before God. You're with me, aren't you? Did it cross your mind that this seems like magic? It's not magic, it's God. This is the hand of the Almighty. And I think because of that, right now, we've got our entrance into Numbers chapter 5. Because you're maybe thinking of Numbers chapter 5 like Donald Trump's wall. You know, like it's impenetrable. You know, we can't get to the America of application. We can't get to any relevance in Numbers 5. It seems too distant, too remote to us. You thinking like that? Well, yeah, the right here does not apply in the New Covenant age. We're not supposed to do this. The right does not apply. The right has changed, but your God has not changed. And I think because of that, there are two very critical lessons that you and I learn here in this portion of Scripture. I wonder will you listen to these. First is this. Listen to me, friends. God sees and he knows your secret sin. Now, you can, you can see how we get to that from Numbers 5, can't you? I mean, imagine the woman. Like, imagine her being taken in the tabernacle before that. Now, you imagine if she's guilty, what she's thinking. She's thinking, I've got away with this. I've had an affair. I've slept with that guy and my silly husband. He can't be sure it's happened. My daft husband, he's doing anything about this. Look at him scratching his head. He's got no idea. I've got away with this. And then what happens? She comes before God and her guilt. Her guilt is revealed. The truth is shown. Do you see it? Our God is a God who sees and he knows our secret sin. I want you to hear this very, very carefully and clearly. We talk about hidden sin and secret sin in churches. There is 
No such thing as a secret sin. No such thing as a hidden sin. Everything is exposed this morning before God, like, like an open book. But then there's a second critical lesson here. And surely this, that God is a God who judges that sin with equity and fairness. Because Adrian came up earlier on, and Adrian stood in front of you, the poor man, and read this portion of, of scripture. And maybe at that point, we're all scratching our heads at this thighs falling away. We're scratching our heads at punishments and bellies swelling up. And we're wondering, what on earth is this? You see it though, do you? Not being crude, but those are euphemisms for a woman's sexual organs. And if you think about that, isn't it interesting? That the punishment exactly fits the crime. Do you see? With the organs she has sinned, with those organs she has punished, God judges exactly. He judges fairly. You see? And if nothing else, surely that makes us sit bolt upright in our seat this morning because what again is Scripture showing us? Sin always gets what it deserves. Sin always gets what it deserves. And that might be for you, friend, if you are unrepentant this morning on the day of judgment. But what is it that the Christians in this room know? What do we rejoice in? Sin gets what it deserves. But for us in Christ, it has had what it deserves at the cross of Calvary. So we see here what? We see, first of all, the workings of Almighty God. Okay, there's reasoning why it's just a wife, and this is not just magic. Okay, second point. Let's move on. So we see the workings of God. Secondly, let's consider the worth of marriage. The worth of marriage. It's complicated. It's a ritual. Do you think we're getting our heads around the ritual? The detail? Do we follow it? Do we get it? We get the idea, do we? There's jealousy. The woman comes into the tabernacle. She is given this cup to drink. She drinks it. What happens? Through that, God exposes guilt or innocence. Do we, we get it? Do we? I think we do, hopefully. But my job, the job of a minister is not just, I think, to address the questions we might have of a portion of scripture. My job is to address the questions that we should be asking of a portion of scripture. So this is where we go next. And so I want you to hear this. And I know there's colds and we've tiredness and we've had stressful journeys to church. Make sure you get this. So this is the next thing we've got to wrestle with here. And I want you to think it it through really carefully. Why does God talk about adultery here? Why does God talk about marriage and and faithfulness and infidelity in Numbers 5? Do you see the, the question? I mean, think about it. We know, don't we? This scene, if you were to look on at the people of Israel just now, camped at, at Sinai, we, what would we see? They are packing up, aren't they? They're getting ready to go on this journey to the promised land. Why does he talk about adultery in this, for this journey? And you could add to it, it's not like God has said an awful lot at the beginning of Numbers chapter 5. Do you see what I mean with that? It's not like he has unveiled this whole raft of new laws at the beginning of Numbers So why talk about adultery? 
Like for this journey and of all the things God could talk about, why, why give them this test? Why give them this, this idea about infidelity? Do, do you see the question at least? Do you? Let me, let me, let me give you two answers to that, I think. For the first one, I want you to check that your minister is on the right track. Okay? So I'm going to put this statement before you, and I want you to nod to see if I'm right with this. Over the last number of sections in the book of Numbers, I'm going to say this to you. You see if this is right. Over the last number of sections, the main concern has been with uncleanness in the camp. Is that right? I know there's visitors and there's some friends of the uh, congregation here. So you're off the hook. You know, you haven't been here for the sermon series. But for the rest of you, you're, you're under the microscope. Is that true? Over the, if you think about the leper section, do you remember that? Do you remember the discharge section? Yeah, remember that. Uh, do you remember? And the contamination with corpses. So the, the main concern that up to this point has been with uncleanness in the camp. Yes? Yeah. Now, why was that the concern? Do you remember that? It was all about God's abiding presence with the people, wasn't it? It was, wasn't it? That if someone who was unclean was left in that camp and not expelled, what would happen? That the camp could become contaminated. The tabernacle could become contaminated. And that would force God to withdraw. He would not be with them for this journey to the promised land. You remember that, don't you? If you remember that, do you not see like what are we asking? We're asking, God, why are you talking about adultery? Do you not see it? Leviticus 18, it says that any form of marital infidelity, it rendered all of the people involved ceremonially unclean before God. So do you see what God is doing in this test? He's protecting the camp. He's protecting the people. If that person wasn't removed, there would be sin contamination. There would be a problem everyone would be at risk. And so I need you desperately to hear this next phrase. What do we learn from that? We learn that our own individual sexual impurity, our individual marital infidelity, it has consequences for the whole community of faith. We tend to think about these things as private matters, don't we? Look at number five. This is not a private matter. Our sexual impurity, our marital infidelity, it has consequences for the church. That's why God lays it out here. But I said two reasons, didn't I? So why does God speak about adultery here? And the bottom line is this. It is because marriage is important to our God. And what I want to do here, if you'll permit me to do this very briefly, is just to speak to the boys and girls in the congregation just for a couple of minutes and make their life really uncomfortable. So you stop what you're doing with the worksheets, boys and girls, and just listen to me for a moment. I just want to ask you a couple of questions. First question is, do you like English in school? What, what, yeah, well, that's a mixed bag, if ever I've seen a mixed bag. Okay, so yes and no. Second question, put it to the test if you do like English. I won't ask you what it is, but have you, boys and girls, have you heard of a metaphor before? Just stick your hand up if you've at least heard. Don't worry, it's not a loaded question. I won't ask you to define it. Yeah, there's a few good hands going up. Brilliant. Love it. We know what a metaphor is, don't we? It's a way of describing something using something else. 
isn't it? Is that a metaphor? It's roughly a metaphor. I'll give you a couple, boys and girls, that you understand. The Sunday school class was a zoo. <laughs> there, there's one you understand. Or the Tottenham Hotspur defense was a joke. There's, there's another one that uh, some of you understand. Okay, now, what are we... Why? Why? Well, what's the question we're asking just now? We're asking, Lord our God, why of all the things that you would talk about in Numbers chapter 5, why would you talk about adultery and why would you talk about marriage? Well, what do you know as a Christian? Like, you know that from beginning to the end of the Bible, throughout the Bible, what does God do? God uses marriage, doesn't he? And he uses marriage actually to illustrate his relationship with his people, doesn't he? Does everyone know that about Scripture, that one of the the most common metaphors we see in the the Bible is, is God using marriage to speak of his own covenant love? Now, you know this, but can I ask you, where would you go in the Bible to see that? You, you might go to Hosea chapter 2, would you? You would, wouldn't you? Where God says to his people, you're going to call me your husband. You're going to be betrothed forever. You might go there. You might go, come on, we might go to Ephesians 5, right? Wouldn't we? Husbands and wives, and they're compared to that relationship between Christ and his church. That's all good. That's brilliant. Do you know where else you could go? You see that beautiful link God makes between marriage and his covenant relationship. Do you know where else you might go? Right here, look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. What a verse. You see it, get to it quickly. If you've been here for the sermon series, immediately it rings true, doesn't it? Because how does he speak about adultery and infidelity? He speaks of it as a wife, look at the phrase, breaking faith with her husband. That rings a bell. Look at verse 6, doesn't it? Do you remember it from two weeks ago? Isn't it interesting? Isn't it? Like God speaks about unfaithfulness in marriage in exactly the same way as he talks about unfaithfulness to him. So God, of all the things you could talk about for this journey to the promised land, why are you talking about marriage? Why? Now we see it, don't we? It's because marriage is all important to our God. Marriage is something that depicts, it illustrates or portrays something of his fidelity with his people, his covenant love. And I do think right at that point, we've got our application, our main point of application, don't we, friends? In fact, it's so easy you could say it back to me. Couldn't you? If marriage is important to our gods, what is the application for us in here? Marriage must be important to the people of God. So I want to say to you, first of all, if you are single in this room, I want you to hear, like you may be looking at numbers five and you're thinking, this is absolutely nothing to do with me. Marital infidelity. I'm single. This has nothing to do with me. How wrong you are. You're seeing here how important marriage is in the eyes of your God. And so I would plead with you to deepen your prayerfulness for the married couples at London City Presbyterian Church. They need your prayerfulness. And I would ask you specifically to pray for purity, to pray for fidelity in the homes of this congregation. But if you're married in here, like you're looking at numbers five, doesn't it challenge you? Like, doesn't it chime with you? You are seeing that your marriage as a Christian isn't just important. Your marriage has spiritual 
significance. Do you see that? And so surely we have to work harder at our relationships as Christians, don't we? I mean, don't we have to work harder at our sexual purity? Don't we have to work harder at our fidelity? Don't we have to work harder at our humility with our spouse? Don't we have to work harder at sacrificially love our spouse? And why? All that this church might better see the workings of God. And then secondly, we see something of the worth of marriage. I'm going to close with, but unfortunately we're going to hit the ground with a bit of a bump uh, here, I think, to be honest. We're going to come back down to earth with a bump. Because that was a nice idea, in a sense, wasn't it? Don't you agree that God gives us marriage partly to show us his fidelity and his goodness? That's a lovely idea. I love that idea. God giving us marriage for that purpose. There's another side to it, friends. Please hear it. Part of the reason that God gives us marriage is also to portray the great infidelity of his people. You see it, do you? Part of the reason that God gives us marriage as a metaphor of his relationship with his church isn't just to show his fidelity, but is to illustrate, ah, the adultery of Israel. Now again, come on, work with me here. Where would you go in the Bible to see that? The great unfaithfulness of Israel. Where would we go? Where would we go? we go back to the Hosea, wouldn't we? Like the whole of the book of Hosea really illustrates the spiritual unfaithfulness of Israel. Huge chunks of Isaiah say the same thing about the adultery of Israel. In Ezekiel, wait for this. Do you know what God says to his people? God says, you have played the whore. And played the whore with the nations. You see the idea? Why does God give us marriage? Partly to show the unfaithfulness of his people. Now, 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 now. This is where it hurts. It really hurts. If that is true of the Old Testament people, what do you, Christian friend, know in your heart hearts? That we too have sinned? Do you not agree? Isn't it true that as we look at our own lives that we see that we have been spiritually unfaithful to God? Yes. The idolatry in our lives. Isn't it awful? We betray God. We wander away from God. Do you see how how adulterous we are to our spouse? Now, now, if that is true for us, this morning, and this is where we, we end and we close, this morning, as you look at Numbers chapter 5, and you think about Numbers chapter 5, and this test of adultery, and you bear in mind that we are sinful here, that we have been unfaithful to God, do you see in Numbers 5, surely, what we deserve? Don't you? You think about this test for adultery. You think about what this woman endures. Do you you not see what we deserve? In fact, can I explain it to you? And can I ask you to do this? Will you pull this biblical thread with me for a second? Pull it with me. Now, listen, listen. I ask you, what happens in Exodus when Moses discovers the unfaithfulness of the people with the golden calf? The adultery, the spirit. What happens? Do you know the story? Is it not melted down? What happens? And a cup is given to the people and they are made to drink. Unfaithfulness. The cup you drink. Pull the biblical thread. Isaiah chapter 51. 
God speaks of the utter unfaithfulness, the spiritual adultery of his people. And guess what God says? I'm going to give you a cup, a cup of horror to drink. Pull the biblical thread. You get to the book of Ezekiel. God speaks about the spiritual adultery of Israel. Guess what he says? I'm going to give you a cup, a cup to drink, a cup of destruction. So you look at Numbers chapter 5 and you see what we deserve. Do you not? We have been adulterers. We deserve to be where this woman is. We deserve to drink this water of bitterness. And yet... What do we know as the people of God? What has been done for us? Remember the words in Gethsemane. What does the Lord Jesus Christ say? Through tears. Lord, if you're willing, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will, Father. Do you see, Christian friends, the gospel? Do you see what has been done for us? We stand in the tabernacle. We stand like this woman before God. We are guilty of adultery. And what has happened? Our spouse has taken our place. The Lord Jesus Christ for us has drunk all of the water of bitterness. He's taken the punishment to his lips. He's taken the cup of curse and drunk it all down. And what does it mean for us now in the New Testament age? What does it mean? It means we are fertile. The church, the punishment is not on the church. We are fertile. Do you see? We can have children. The offspring of Abraham can continue to multiply and multiply and multiply all for the glory of God and all by the grace of God. You look at Numbers 5. We scratch our heads. Do you not see Christ did this for you? Christ did it. Christ ensured that misery spiritually and he did it for his bride. And so I, I, I end with this because I have to speak to you if you're not a Christian in here. I long for you to take to your heart what I said earlier on. If you're not born again, remember what I said. God sees your sin. He knows you. He knows your guilt. And God will punish that sin. You will die in your sin unless you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I hope sincerely that you see in Numbers 5 something of the everlasting commitment of God to his church and his people. He has forgiven his saints. And I hope today is the day that you come to Christ. You come to him to be saved. Friends, let's bow our heads before our God and let's pray. Gracious Father, forgive us if we treat your word sometimes with flippancy. Forgive us that we do not uh, plunge the depths of, of your word to see your magnificence and your gospel goodness. We thank you for this test uh, for adultery. We thank you, Lord God, for your your grace in protecting the vulnerable, that that is your heart and your goodness. We thank you, Lord God, you've given us marriage would you forgive us for the times that we just treat our spouses and the marriages of this church without prayer and due consideration? But we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that though we have deserved this punishment, greater punishment, that the Lord Jesus Christ has 
become a curse for us. And so we do pray all of these things for his sake and his name. Amen.